HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Buddy, just the two of us this week, Damon, could not make the show. I know, just you and me talking about, uh, it's, it's uh, what is it, December 7th? So we had some fun news yesterday and, of course, some fun stuff coming up from the holidays. But, yeah, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Georgia for a hot second. Well, huh? I mean, listen, I didn't expect it to go to a runoff. My expectation, in fact, I made a bet. I can uh, have a screen grab of me losing the bet, and I'm happy to lose this bet. When <laughs> the race was going on, I, I was convinced that Walker was going to win uh, just because of the way the tide was, tur- was, was, was rolling down there and, and everything that I read and saw and heard on podcasts seemed to lean that way i had no expectation that it was going to go into a runoff uh and then when it went into the runoff my 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 tune changed i thought it was going to go the way that it went which is of course that warnock took it um but uh but uh, yeah i'm happy to lose a 20 dollar bet to, to jeremy over at amori margo yeah never never bet with your heart because if you lose you're out twice you know oh, man. it's like That's... i i remember in in march of 2020 uh sitting around with my roommates and they were like, I think it's probably going to be like, you know, a month, like six weeks maximum before we can get back into restaurants. And I was there, I was like three months. And they're like, you're insane. I'm like, no, trust me, it's going to be at least three months until we're all back to normal. And I'm like, I'll make a bet with you. I'm like, and not only that, if it goes like anything less than three months of the day, you don't have to pay me. And if it goes over that to six months, you owe me double. Ooh. And um one of them paid me. The other one didn't because he's a little bit of a wiener. But, you know, as, <laughs> as the term is Welcher. But least, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like two years of my life where I kind of sat around twiddling my thumbs, but I got 40 bucks out of it. So, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> it's 20 bucks a year, pal. It's uh, four <laughs> times as much as we make here at the station. Um, <laughs> anyway, also over the weekend, got to go to um, a holiday party, which, you know, the first one I've been to in, in some time due to the pandemic. Holiday parties have been canceled. I went to Robert Simonson's place. Uh, him and Mary Kate throw a great party. They haven't thrown it in three years. But last year I had planned to go, and in September I made a fruitcake. 
um, and you know uh, was was you know spraying it down every two weeks with cognac, leading up to what was supposed to be the party that got canceled due to Omicron. Um, so I kept spraying it, and so I took a cake that was a, a year and three months old, um, which is great, and it would turn, turn out fantastic. I made a little icing for people to dip it in. It was delicious. Um, how how strong was that cake after 15 months of getting a, a weekly cognac shower? You know, it's shockingly n- n- not that strong. It's not like biting. Okay. Honestly, when you bite into like a baba or rum or, uh, you know, basically a rum cake or what have you, uh, you get more of a hit than you get off of a fruit cake because it just seeps in and becomes part of the, you know, it kind of makes it slick and almost syrupy on the outside. Um, obviously quite dense. Um, it gets denser and denser as time goes by. You know, people people do the Iditarod uh, with nothing but you know with nothing but fruitcakes <laughs> because they're so compact. They're basically the the uh, kind of the world's first attempt at a power bar. You know, <sighs> like they're super condensed, yeah. they're super caloric, they're super you know nutritious. Um, you know, you make one uh, by the time by the time it's ready to eat, it, it feels like a gold brick. It's just heavier than it looks. You know, humanity powered by booze, man. But this is this, so this is actually interesting because we were talking a little while ago with a friend of the show. Um, who's been sober for almost uh, three decades, and congratulations to mm-hmm. her. But um, about is there a way to make a fruitcake without the booze? Because, I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, we talk a lot on the show about low and no ABV drinks, and the point there is the flavor, it's the experience, it's the ritual of having a drink with your friends. And those you can all, none of those actually involve the chemical properties of alcohol, but making a fruitcake kind of does. Mm-hmm. And we were sort of batting around some some workarounds. Do you have anything for that? You know, I don't know. And I think that this is, uh, you know, this is something we'd have to look into with someone maybe more expert than than myself or you on the non-alcoholic. Because I think the alcohol... Southern, we have a podcast. Yeah, if yeah. anyone's an expert, it's we're, us. We're getting there, buddy. Um, <laughs> I think that the alcohol is the property that is the preservant in this cake process. Cake is a strong word, by the way. It's really just this dense bar of dried fruit. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. But maybe if we had someone in the studio with us that could speak to low and no ABV uh, drinks, they would have a, a clue if this would work over in the in the food uh, world. If only we had someone who is very well versed in the world of low and no ABV drinks, like Jesse Pollock coming to us live from the Twin Cities, uh, we might be able to get an answer to this question. But fortunately, yeah. Hi, Jesse. How you doing? I'm good, but the first thing I gotta say is I don't know anything about fruitcake, y'all. I'm not your <laughs> I'm not your expert. I'm not the hero you need right now. <laughs> Uh, that's all right. I don't think I know anything about fruitcake either. I make one every year. Um, I make more than one. You, you make them to take to parties. Uh, I think I like to make them just to sort of um, disprove the myths about them that they are terrible. I think they're quite delicious. Um, you, you, again, you can't eat a lot of it because it's so dense, but uh, but they're always a, a crowd pleaser. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to ask, if you spend a year with that fruitcake, you don't get too attached to eat it? Yeah, you can still you know, <laughs> you can still slaughter it at the end of the exactly. year? Exactly. <laughs> it's like raising a pig, I guess. Um, I guess you could do like a vertical of it, you know? It's just like you have one, it's like, this is my 10-year-aged fruitcake, this is my 9-year-aged <laughs> one, you just kind of like do like a, a tasting menu of them side by side. Well, One of them is just like frozen, like just ossified into, it's, it's just like a petrified tree by the end of it. Yeah, well, at the same party, I always bring my brandy sour, which I made seven years ago. I bring a liter to the party each year so we can taste and see how it's doing. So I, I joked that this year I brought an old cake and some old booze, nothing fresh from me. 
Wait a sec. Does this mean that there's just like uh, like one of those vats from Breaking Bad that's full of brandy sour in your house that you just kind of like tap a little bit of every every holiday season? Vat is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> no, I made it seven years ago and put it into half liter bottles. So there's a, uh, I think I have about, and I try and drink about two liters a year. I go to two different parties that I bring a liter to. And so um, I think I could probably go another four years with what I've got sitting around. Okay. I'll, I'll, well, share I mean, some, I, I'll share I, some with you. It's pretty fascinating stuff. All right, all right. I'm looking forward to it. But I mean, yeah, one of the one of the things we were tossing around a little bit for the the fruitcake problem was like maybe tea could work because tea. And I'm I'm more of a coffee guy, but I think it does have some antiseptic properties. So like maybe the tannins from that could kind of ape some of those flavors if you used a really fruity one, like a rooibos or something. But um, I don't know. I mean, this is also one of the one of the puzzles that is I think so fun to crack about making these low and no ABV drinks. And I know Jesse, you've kind of been observing this trend for a while. And I'm always sort of curious for people who have been watching this thing for years and years and years, it really seems like it kind of gained a lot of momentum fairly recently, despite the fact that people have been trying to make this a thing for a while. So I guess sort of, you know, what, what have your observations been watching this space and what do you think has changed? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're living in an exciting time when it comes to the beverage industry and it all kind of ties into hospitality for me. A lot of it is just that, you know, the, like having non-alcoholic and low ABV beverages available for guests is just part of accessibility. It means there's something for everyone. And I think it's cool that every day we get a little bit closer to our guests not having to have any reason at all why they're not drinking. If they just don't want to drink for the night or for the week or forever, it doesn't matter. Um, they can just make that choice and nobody has to question it. It doesn't have to be a dialogue with their guests anymore. And that's really cool. Yeah, I think the search for like this binary answer on uh, con- consumables in general is is futile in the first place. You know, I run a bunch of businesses that are all vegan and I don't happen to be vegan myself. However, I would posit that like I'm mostly vegan and I kind of have been all my life just because there's a bite of, uh, uh, you know, a portion of uh, non-vegan property on, on the plate doesn't mean that the overwhelming preponderance of the plate isn't generally vegetables and, and vegetable based things. Right. I feel the same with alcohol. Like I dr- I'm not drinking right now. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got a glass of water in front of me. Um, you know, you get up in the morning, you have your coffee, you have orange juice with uh, your breakfast, you go have a Coca-Cola with your lunch. Maybe it doesn't mean you don't drink. It just means you aren't drinking right now. Right. Later tonight, you might have a cocktail with with her before dinner or maybe not. I think it's uh, I think we we've gotten too comfortable with the notion that we can simply turn everything into a black and white or, or on or off answer when we all know in our heart of hearts that nothing is. Well, exactly. And also, you know, I think it's so important to give our guests that level of privacy, too, that like, you know, with respect as bartenders, it's none of our darn business why anybody's not drinking tonight or you know, tomorrow or whenever. And so having options available for people means they get to make that choice for themselves, but not have to justify it or explain it to anyone. Yeah. What sort of um, initiatives have you seen or have you been part of that you think um, make that a little bit better or easier for the guests or the client to, to feel empowered without having to feel exposed? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is, um, so I spend way too much of my life thinking about menu design. I love thinking about menus as something holistic, not just, you know, 10 cocktails put on the same page together, but how are they in conversation with each other? And I think the easiest, 
But, you know, most effective thing we can do when we're creating menus is to just include non-alcoholic um, beverage options on our menus and in a place where they're either mixed in with the cocktails or they're just like, they're right there. When I first started at the bar that I work at now, um, which was many years ago, it was, you know, pretty early in the trend of non-alcoholic cocktails. And we had some great NA cocktails, but they were on a separate menu. So we did this weird thing where we would kind of like visually profile the person of like, oh, that's obviously an underage person or a pregnant woman and like, you know, then give them the page or they had to ask for it. And that just like starts you off on the wrong foot right away with hospitality, right? So mm -hmm. just having those things together easy, it's no question, is a quick way to make those guests feel kind of seen and included. I 1000% agree. And what we've started doing at our men, at, at all my places on the menu is simply uh, listing everything as it should be listed in a way that makes the menu read well. So, you know, your NAs and your low ABVs are just peppered in there. But we put ABV uh, percentages by all the drinks so that the consumer can choose without feeling, as you said, if you give them a separate menu, that's a separate table. You know, like I had to I had to eat at the kids table. I had to eat, you know, at the shorter end of the bar or whatever. Like, um, I feel like I, I, we don't do that in restaurants on the food menu. We simply put the items that are non-meat uh, non, non, non or non-vegan, or uh, vegetarian or vegan, they're peppered in where they belong on the menu, and it's up to the guests to just make their choice uh, from the one menu, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. It's just a quick way to make a nod to the guests that like, hey, we have options here for you, and you don't have to explain to us why you're choosing those options. Right, and also I think it tells them, I prepared for you just like I prepared for everyone else. Exactly. And, you know, I think this all just ties into hospitality so much. And this is just, you know, one part of hospitality of just, yeah, making people feel cared for. And exactly like you said, like, hey, I'm I'm prepared for you and I'm here to take care of you, whatever your needs are. Right. I, you know, I, I because of my career, my previous career as a chef, I, I constantly fall back on the food analogies. And I can certainly remember, um, you know, back when I was doing that over 20 years ago, the slow but eventual and we got to where we are now process of that happening you know there there used to be you didn't have any vegetarian or, or even god forbid vegan options on the menu as the guest you would have to say you know what can the chef make for me out of whatever's here on the menu How, what kind of piecemeal can you put together for me um meaning you 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 didn't expect me to come so you didn't prepare for me so you don't care for me that much yeah well at least in the beverage industry i think that has led to some good uh you know some good innovation um one of the brands that I work with is Seedlip and Seedlip is a great non-alcoholic distilled spirit. And it actually came out of this exact necessity that, you know, Ben Branson, the, the founder was at a restaurant, not having a drink or not having a, an alcoholic drink and wanted something prepared for him. And he got like a big glass of juice. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of his motivation to originally say, I want to make something better for myself. Sure. Sure. You get juice and sugar, right? Uh, and then to, to go to my analogy, you know, back in those days at the restaurant, you'd get the grilled vegetable plate, right? Like we're just going to wing it with what we got, nothing prepared or, or thoughtful. Uh, we're putting it together on the fly because suddenly you're here and we didn't know yeah, you exactly. were coming. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I think we got, I think we got some old celery at the back of the freezer we can bring out for you if you want. Like, is that, you know, that there's no meat in that, I don't think. And, and the other thing that I appreciate about the style is that, like, you know, as someone who, um, you know, really isn't uh, picky about eating or drinking 
anything. It's nice for me to not feel like I have to, you know, cross the cross the tracks into the vegetarian side of the menu or the no ABV side of the menu. It makes it easy not to default to that. You know, it's like it's like um it's like ordering a pizza where it's like I don't always want to get meat on a pizza but like i i would always feel like you know if i'm getting the veggie lovers thing i'm like i'm making a statement you know it's like i i'm i am planting my flag is not eating meat this evening whereas if you just have like a well thought out interesting dish that isn't just like every vegetable we have in the back on top of a pie then it makes it more of an appealing option you know yeah, you'd hate to be seen as a vegetarian. Oh my god! What would oh you do? my god! I know it'd be awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, that—that's the thing. You know, again, we don't have to pigeonhole ourselves into anything. We can be whatever we want, whenever we want. And I think that's the point here: is we're trying to just make people comfortable and feel feel like they're welcome and, and that they were thought about and cared for. Um, you know, I have a hurdle to overcome at Amore Margo where we've been open, you know, 12 years now. We literally don't have a single thing on the bar that's non-alcoholic with, a, with one exception, water. So I don't have anything to offer these people. Um, and I'm still teetering on whether or not I want to have something for them. You know, I, I, I want to be inclusive, but I want to be inclusive to the service that I offer. You know, uh, I don't, I don't, I want to be, you know, again, to use a food analogy, I want to be a steakhouse. I don't want to sell, you know, sushi. So, um, it's been a it's been a little bit of a battle. We've we we tried we dipped our toes in the water. We put something on the menu that was NA. I backed away from it pretty quickly. I'm still trying to figure out if Mori Margo is the right place. But at all my other bars, we of course have options, and and they're not segregated or separated. They're just blended right into the menu with ABV listed, so people can make their choices. Well, speaking of of that, I wanna I I, I love Jesse that you're a geek about menu design because this is something that has been a a passion subject of mine for a while too. Because I just love I love layout i love aesthetics i love like making things just look nice and pretty on the page but i've always sort of quipped that by the time you are in a position to write a menu that gets put in front of a guest you are one of the least qualified people on earth to do it because you've lost perspective on what is just normal regular old human being speak that people know when they look at a menu and what is jargon you know so i want to i want to know how you have sort of nav what some of your tricks are to navigate around that and and make something like that, especially if you're trying to introduce a concept that maybe is a, a little bit more new for some people, like putting a no ABV drink on there. Like, how do you sort of navigate around that field of making sure that like these things are still feel warm and accessible and inviting to the people who are going to be reading these menus? Yeah, man, that's a that's a, a harsh reality that I think you have spot on about, you know, by the time you're kind of designing those menus, you might not be the, the best audience for it. Yeah, well, it's like it's like we're all our own worst judges of ourselves because we have absolutely no objectivity of like who we are as people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I find um a trap that I fall into regularly is, you know, that the thing where you uh you cook a big dinner, you know, something really elaborate and you spend all day cooking it. And by the time you're done cooking it, you just like, good Lord, you just don't want to eat it. Uh -huh. um, I find that with cocktails that I like very rarely order a cocktail in a bar because I think about cocktails all day long and I taste them often, either my own or other people's and work to develop them. And so when I go out, I just kind of want a vacation from that. And so I end up not ordering drinks and I find myself in that trap of like, oh yeah, I'm getting out of touch with what other people are doing if I'm not drinking the drinks, you know? 
Um, so I, at the very least, I try to look at menus a lot. And so I spend a lot of time just looking at other bar and restaurant menus and seeing what other people are doing and does it appeal to me? Do I get a sense of what that drink is? Because, right, a menu is just supposed to, or a menu description is really just supposed to paint a picture for the guest of like, here's an idea of what you're going to get. And I try to sort of do that experiment for myself of like, okay, if I read this menu description, can I guess what that drink is? Yeah. And I also, I've found just generally in my experience that unless you're working at a place like, you know, your, your death and companies and your PDTs where people are going there for a capital E experience, like people will not order things on a menu where they don't understand what two of the ingredients mm -hmm. are like one ingredient. They're like, okay, I'm willing to roll the dice. Like I have no idea what Verju is, but the rest of this sounds fun. Like I know what rum is. I know what Campari is. I know I'm making this drink up as I go along and it doesn't sound very good, but you get my mm -hmm. point. <laughs> but you know, if there are two things on there where they're, you know, they've never heard of either of them, they're kind of like, this doesn't sound like it's for me. You know, have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm, I have a real disdain for, bartender jargon on most menus. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are places where it makes sense. Um, there are, you know, restaurants and bars where it makes sense. But I think for the average person, um, you never, I mean, we just never want to make our guests feel stupid, right? And so if we list a bunch of ingredients that they've never heard of, they're going to feel dumb and they're going to feel out of place. And that's the wrong way to start that experience. Yeah, 100%. Definitely, definitely. So how, how do you how do you work around that? If you have a drink that you're like, this tastes really good, but there's, you know, a number of like kind of weird things in here. How do you sort of make that more accessible for somebody? Yeah, I mean, there's a million different ways to do it. I do really love um, when there's any kind of visual cues on a menu. So for example, like some people think they're cheesy, but I'm a big fan of those little like clip arts of the shape of the glass. Because a lot of people are ordering their drink by this, the shape of the glass, mm -hmm. you know? They want to know, is it going to come in something like some beautiful stemware or is it a long drink with bubbles, right? Do you, do you guys see that? Oh, for sure. Your oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I kind of do the same thing. Like, you know, I've definitely had nights where it's like, what am I in the mood for? It's like, I'm in the mood for something that comes in a rocks glass. Like, it could be an old-fashioned riff. It could be a Negroni riff. Like, but it could be like... If someone's like wanting to do a martini on the rocks with like some extra twists on it, I'm there, but like I'm in a rocks glass sort of mood. So I think that actually really helps. Yeah, I think that visual cue can help. I also, so I think about in journalism, uh, you know, when you're writing a newspaper article, they, they say you use an inverse pyramid, which means you're basically it's a triangle with the point down, right? And so you're putting the most important information at the top of your article, and then you're trickling your way down to the least important information. And I think you can think of menu descriptions in the same mm. way of I should put the most, either like the biggest flavor components that are in the drink or just the most recognizable things towards the front. And that way, if I lose my guest halfway through the description, at least I lost them with the more accessible things and not like starting them out with, like you said, like what the heck is Verjou sure. and just like starting them out on the wrong foot right away. Yeah. On my menus, I list the, the name of the cocktail, the ingredients that are in the cocktail, and then try and stay within three to four words that describe the cocktail. Tasting notes, basically, you know, the Sharpie mustache, uh, Maletti, Bonal, uh, Tiki bitters, uh, rye, gin. And then it, underneath that, it just says uh, island spice and leather. You know, so that, that gives them at least a tasting 
idea, but I love uh, all my glasses are the same. So, but I do love when I go to places <laughs> and I see the little glass icon because that tells you something too. If it comes in a tall glass with pebble ice in it, you probably you know you're going down some sort of tropical road, right? You you can make an understanding without knowing what all the ingredients are. Yeah, absolutely. I have a um, fantastic regular guest at my bar who so. It, my bar, we do a daily cocktail. So something different every day, um, based on, you know, seasonal ingredients, or maybe things we're sharing with the kitchen, or just ideas that the bartenders are workshopping. But I have this lovely guest who she comes in very often. And always her first question is, what glass does the daily come in? Because that's going to like, start her out right away and let her give her an expectation. And then she'll make her decision from there. It's very, it's ah, a very interesting, interesting approach. And I'm sure that that's helped you glean some information back from her. Um, well, let's take a break real fast and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're going to keep talking with Jesse Pollock, uh, all the way in from Minneapolis, Minnesota, which, by the way, we didn't even mention at the top of the show. The USBG presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo 2022 U.S. Bartender of the Year. So let's come back and talk a little bit about that. Stay tuned. You know, we're having a great time talking to Jesse Pollock today. She is the USBG presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo 2022 U.S. Bartender of the Year. But, you know, along the way... I think one of the ways she got there, Greg, is using the resources that are free at Diageo uh, Bar Academy. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about Diageo Bar Academy a lot on this show. And one of the things that we like to, to hammer home is the fact that it is free to everyone and yeah, everybody anywhere, no matter your income or your skill level or, you know, whether this is a career you've been in for 10 years or you're just starting out, there's something on there for everybody. All you need is access to the internet and you can get tons of amazing e-learning courses and master classes that come with quizzes and a lot of really, really great info that frankly, you know, every time I log on there, I'm learning something new. It's quite, it's, it's great. Yeah. I think the best part again is free uh, on demand, right? So you can do it whenever you want to. And then all sorts of different master classes. We talk a lot today in the episode about the low and no ABV opportunities that are at Diageo Bar Academy. Uh, um, but there's everything. And then, you know, we always talk about whatever level you're at in the industry, but this isn't open to anyone. If you're just a, an enthusiast who loves our show and uh, likes to make drinks at home, go get this. It's free for you to have. It, you know, it's just like a reference book or a library book you pull off the shelf. You don't have to be anybody or anything to pull a book off the shelf. So I'm highly encouraging everyone listening, uh, whether you're in this business or just adjacent or even just just an enthusiast, check out diageobaracademy.com uh, for resources that are, are free and on demand. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Jesse Pollock, who is, uh, you know what? We gave her title before we went into the break, and I know I'm going to mix around some of the words that are a part of it, but uh, she won a big award this year that we're definitely going to talk about later. But not only that, she's also uh, coming to us as the uh, a representative of Spoon and Stable, which is a... Uh, really amazing establishment that I want to talk about more of in one of my personal favorite cities of Minneapolis. And I sort of want to pick your brain about that a little bit, Jesse, because we were talking about um, menu design before the break. And what Spoon and Stable does is something that's always really fascinated me is it's it's uh, sort of a fine dining experience, but with cocktails. And, you know, that has very much been the purview of the wine world for uh, centuries. And I know people have been trying to kind of crack that walnut for a little while of of moving it into the cocktail space. So I'd love to hear a little bit of, uh, you know, just sort of your experience working there and your philosophy of how you approach uh, merging those worlds of fine dining and cocktails in a way that is still accessible and hospitable and fun. Yeah. Well, I encourage and invite everyone, please come 
visit me at Spoon and Stable in Minneapolis <laughs> the next time you're in town. Um, it's a great spot. And yeah, exactly. It is New American. You can tell it's New American because it's a, the name of, you know, it's it's a thing and a thing is the name of the restaurant, right? So that's how you know it's New American fine dining because um, that seems to be the, the sort of method, right? <laughs> yeah. That, so you put that ampersand in the middle and that's how I you was going to say exactly. the, the ampersand is getting a lot of play these days. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but it's a cool program because, yeah, it is a fantastic culinary menu, chef-driven menu. Um, Gavin Kaysen is the the founder and chef. And we have this beverage program that kind of is at the same level, which I think is often very rare in restaurants where they were really putting equal care into the food menu and the beverage menu side of things and taking like a really culinary approach to the beverage menu. And I, um, so I run the beverage program there and another like cool thing about it is just that we actually sell more cocktails than we do wine or beer, which is pretty rare for that like type of establishment, but it's great. It means that there's tons of options for a guest. Well, not only that type, but I would, I would, I mean, I don't mean to throw any shade or anything, but not only that type of menu, but that, that, that market that you're in, that shocks me to hear that, that Minneapolis is so cocktail, uh, excitable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been around for eight years. We just had our eighth birthday and I really try to have a menu that is again, like, like reaching toward accessibility for people. So offering some things that are delicious and well-balanced and beautifully presented, but also that don't make people uncomfortable, that don't make people feel stupid because they don't know what's in it. So it's all about kind of pushing people ever so slightly out of their comfort zone, but maybe even imperceptibly. So they're not realizing that you're, that you're giving them the bull push. (laughs) Nudging them just ever so slightly. So they don't even notice they've been rotated. It's like, it's like moving your house pants slowly towards the sun and they don't even (laughs) realize it until they're there. Did that, did that, uh, did it start out that way? Like, was it from day one, the cocktail sales were that robust or did it sort of, was it a thing you had to work up to as you were, you know, sort of nudging your guests along like that? No, it's something that has, you know, it started out right away as a kind of force for cocktails within Minneapolis. Um, it is a beautiful bar. And like I said, it's just, it's very thoughtful and We've since day one really focused on putting, again, as much care into that beverage program as we do into the food program. Um, So it started that way. But also, yeah, I think especially over the last few years with the pandemic, we see, you know, a lot of our guests, they drank a lot of wine and a lot of bad cocktails at home. Mm -hmm. And so now as they've kind of reemerged into the world, they're looking for either just great, you know, well-made cocktails or again, since we're talking about low and no ABV, oftentimes they maybe indulged a little too much over the last few years and they're looking for something that's thoughtful but does not contain alcohol. And so part of our menu is that to give them those options that still are beautiful and served in a, in a pretty glass with a great garnish but uh, are not, you know, containing any alcohol. I love that. And I, 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 I love how that circles back to sort of the, you know, again, there are so many uh, ways that you can kind of guide these trends without having to like beat people over the head with it, not Mm -hmm. having to give them like a special, you know, no ABV menu or be like, this is like our cocktail pairing flight for the evening or, or, you know, what have you. It's a, it's a, um, there are hospitable ways to kind of introduce people to, to these, to these new concepts. And, you know, speaking of, of new concepts, I was wondering if there was any like resources that you particularly liked or relied on to build 
these menus or build these kind of like low and no ABV drinks that you would like to, you know, share with our listeners? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so you mentioned world class. You uh, you whipped out of saying the whole title. That's all right. I did. Um. <laughs> I did because I still can't find it in the email, and it's like eighteen <laughs> words long. Exactly. There you go, well, buddy. USBG is- presents world class, sponsored by Diageo, twenty twenty two U.S. Bartender of the Year, Jesse Pollock. Yeah, that one. Yeah, nice. yeah. That was, it was right on the tip of my tongue. Nice. He, he actually recorded it when he said it earlier, yeah, and he just, just pressed, pressed play. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a cough button. <laughs> Um, but so the world-class competition definitely, um, forced me to learn more about creating great non-alcoholic cocktails than I perhaps would have otherwise. Um, making no or low ABV drinks is a big part of the competition. And so that kind of pushed me to up my game there. It's something I've always been interested in, but, um, definitely was motivation. And part of that is using Diageo, the Diageo Bar Academy. So it's just diageobaracademy.com. And that is a website full of resources all about making great drinks, making good business decisions, designing menus, um, learning about products. And a lot of the content is actually geared toward either low or no ABV drinks because that is such an important and growing part of the beverage market. Yeah, we talk about Diageo Bar Academy a lot here on the show. We, I know it's a great resource. I love the fact that, of course, it's free and, and uh, on demand. I think that that lowering the barrier of entry is key to making education, you know, ubiquitous. Um, but beyond that, I would say, you know, I participated in world class for for two years. The first two years, it was here in America. I think that was twenty. 15, 14, 14 and 15. I can't remember. Um, and there was not a part of it at all. Low and no wasn't, uh, there wasn't even a consideration for that. So again, it's the evolution. We can see that things have changed, right? Yeah, exactly. That's interesting to think about. And even, you know, this year, it, obviously the competition changes every year. And this year, the very first round of the competition was to make a low ABV spritz. So it was kind of like right out the gate, competitors needed to be thinking in that way. Um, and, you know, thinking about how to make things that are lower in alcohol, but equally delicious and inventive. Yeah. And I, and I, the thing I liked about that competition is it wasn't like, you know, we're not going to do a specific, like no ABV round. It was sort of mixed in with a lot of the other, the other um, challenges, which I thought was cool. And I got to catch one, one round of you when I was there down in Nashville this summer in that really, really just delightful Nashville in June. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you went down there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I, I, and I, Jesse and I actually got to catch up a little bit, which was really, which was really great for an episode of, um, of Back Bar that I recorded down there. But talk to me a little bit about your, that competition, because I remember that was your first year and it was fun sort of, you know, talking to you when you, uh, didn't know what the outcome of the competition was. And now we know that you are the USBG Presents World Class Sponsored by Diageo 2022 US Bartender of the Year. I finally, finally found that one line. Um, <laughs> but yeah, talk to me a little bit about how that competition was for you and, and what's different about your life now that you're on the other side of it. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, as you well know, no one was more surprised than I was that I won because <laughs> you <laughs> talked to me during the competition where I was still like, you know, sweating and panicking a little bit. <laughs> but uh, World Class is a, really a fantastic competition. And that's specifically, I say this all the time, but I think there's a lot of competitions that are focused on making one specific drink or just telling a good story or just working really fast. World Class is kind of the one that takes all of that and rolls it into a competition. So it's everything that it takes to be a great bartender. And we went from hundreds of applications to through several rounds of competition last year. 
And then I actually got to compete in Sydney, Australia this past fall um, to represent the United States against over 50 other countries from around the world. It was a wild time. Wow. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about, about that experience. Cause that's a, a part of the world that I've always, I've always wanted to get to, but spending 26 hours on a plane <laughs> sounds like a hell I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. So I'm going to get around to it one day, but like, what was that? I, I, I can just imagine what a surreal experience that must be to like, you know, wake up one day and be like, okay, well, you need to get ready to fly to Sydney, Australia in about six weeks. Yeah, I actually had the uh, experience of I um, won the competition in Nashville and it was like, great, you're the bartender of the year. And 12 hours after that announcement was when I got the debriefing with all the challenges for globals. So it was like a real oh quick God. honeymoon. <laughs> and then we were in it. Um, I was there I was there at that closing night party. So I have to say that do, making you do something like that the next day is just mean. <laughs> it, was, it was the first of many challenges. <laughs> <laughs> really separates the weed from the chaff, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, no, but the global competition was fantastic. It was uh, just like, you know, well-organized, but most importantly, it was, you know, some of the best bartenders from around the world. I met so many cool people and got to see so many different styles of bartending that I don't necessarily have um, the opportunity to see here and just kind of experience how different parts of the world approach great cocktails and great storytelling and bartending. Uh, I definitely recommend, I know this comes from a, a place of privilege, obviously, but if you get the chance to go to Australia, it is uh, very cool. I have annoyed many of my coworkers because all I talk about is the birds because the birds were top notch. <laughs> uh, Greg doesn't think birds are real. Um, it's true. <laughs> uh, You're one of them, Jesse. I knew it. I yeah. knew it. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what, Further, so you do your U.S. bartender of the year. Are you going to compete again? What? How does it work next? Like, what's coming next for you as far as the whole uh, uh, world, the sort of galaxy of uh, USBG presents and world class and Diageo? What, what's next? Yeah, so technically, winners are allowed to compete again. Uh, I will not be competing again because this was really my goal was to get to the mentorship side of things in the same way that's other. I know you know you do a lot of mentorship. Mm -hmm and also involved with, with world-class in that way. And that was the side of the fence I really wanted to be on. So I'm actually, presently, we are judging the first round of applications for the 2023 season for world-class. Uh, and I'll also have the opportunity to mentor people. And so I'll get to judge and help people out and just kind of help raise up the next generation of bar professionals, which is what I wanted to, where I wanted to be anyway. And it's exciting, you know, again, if you're talking about these low and no proof cocktails that maybe I can help in just a tiny way now push this next generation of bar professionals into that sphere and help them think creatively about that kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you, you no desire to, to compete again or, or is there a desire you just you feel comfortable in the space you're at? I, I did it twice. I made it to um, top four. Uh, um, the first year I did it and the second year I, I didn't get past top 20, which is just to, to get in really. Um, so I decided, well, if I'm, I'm going the wrong way, I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> I'll leave the space open for someone else. Well, this is a lot of work. Fair, fair. No kidding. Uh, this is a competition that, uh, takes a lot of work and a lot of practice, a lot of build up, a lot of stamina, frankly. Yeah, it's a ton of work. I actually, um, 
you know, we're in the time of year where everybody's looking at their Spotify wrapped. And um, I just, I got mine and it was like mildly depressing because it really just showed like all of my top songs were just the songs that were, that I played in my speed round for world class. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, (laughs) it was just like, oh, you trained too much for that. Well, it's also like, I mean, I remember, man, there was one year on my Spotify wrapped where there was just like one, one playlist from like a fairly obscure, like noise band that I just listened to. Like it was the, it was just the only thing that I could use to drown out the sound of the people that I lived with while I was working and like not be distracted by it because it was just such background noise to me. So I just have that on a loop for hours and hours and hours. And like at the end of the year, Spotify was like, you're on the top 0.1% of their fan group. It's like, am I the number one fan of the go team this year? Do I like win a t-shirt or something? Yeah, that's one of those. Is that a good thing or is that a red flag? I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. It's like, should I be happy or like just like do better on your Spotify wrapped next year, guys? (laughs) Do better, Greg. Um, I try. (laughs) Well, Jesse, how can people follow along with your shenanigans? You got an Instagram you want to plug or a TikTok channel that you want to talk about? Sure. Well, I'm not cool enough for TikTok yet. Maybe someday. You know, honestly, (laughs) I even stumbled over the word to say it because we always say Instagram because that's been the going trend. And then now it's becoming TikTok. You're the first person, I think, uh, on the show that I've thrown that on. Um, And so I'm glad, kind of glad to see that maybe you're not there yet. So maybe that means maybe our guests and our listeners aren't quite there yet either. Yeah, I don't know if we're behind the times, but oh, yeah, oh, that's all right. Oh, we got to be comfortable oh, we with where we are. Behind the times. <laughs> we keep we keep the show current for the kids. That's our that's our <laughs> the twenty one and over kids. Obviously. Listen, you know the thing is struggling when there's a meme out there that looks like a dictionary entry and it says you know Instagram noun uh, where thirty year olds go to watch TikTok videos, right? So that's Oof. a problem. <laughs> that means wow, I feel harsh. both attacked and seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, where can people follow along with what you're what you're up to uh, behind the bar or uh, mentoring with Diageo or whatever? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I'll just again invite people to come visit me at Spoon and Stable in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I know it's a, a hot tourist destination, so <laughs> I expect to see everyone there real soon. Especially uh, this time of year. Oh yeah, we only got three inches of snow today, so it's, <laughs> we're looking good. <laughs> Looking good. See you in summer. <laughs> Heard it's the best weekend um, of the year follow... there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at Jesse Pollock. It's just my name, J S S I P O L L A K. Uh, and also, of course, follow along with World Class, World Class US. Um, we will be posting some of the shenanigans when it comes to judging this next round of competitions. And then also it's a great place to find resources for things like the studios that we do. So we do these in-person studios all over the country. Just did one in Dallas last month that was really fun. That was all about creating no and low proof cocktails. Um, We do them, you know, like I said, in person, but there's also tons of online resources and links to those Diageo Bar Academy tools through uh, world-class. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, thanks so much again for joining us, Jesse Pollock, all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Once again, the USBG presents world-class sponsored by Diageo 2022 us bartender of the year. You're crushing it out there. We're so stoked. You took time to be with us on the show today and really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Greg. I wish you would uh, believe it that birds are real, but other than that, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> when I see the proof, uh, when I, Show me the research. Listen, I want to throw one more thing on the pile. You know, uh, yesterday it was revealed that the Trump organization and Trump himself are are guilty of all 17 charges against him for fraud, et cetera. 
And the first thing that people started posting about was that num the number 17, 17th letter of the alphabet is Q. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. Anyhow, that's it for this episode of The Speakeasy <laughs> right here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, please tune in to Heritage for more shows just like this one and go to our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart to donate and keep shows like this one on the air. Uh, thanks again so much for your time, Jesse. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Al. Bye. So you don't shun the devil with your right The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.